0: I can't get enough of that video. I love it. I love it. I have a riddle for you today. Here it is. This thing all things devours birds, beasts, trees, flowers, gnaws iron, bites steel, grinds hard stones to meal. Slays king ruins town and beats high mountain down. What is it? It's time, you're right. That's from a a wonderful chapter called Riddles in the Dark in the novel by J.R.R. Tolkien called The Hobbit. I want to talk about time today. We're in the midst of our series called 24-6. I mean, the very title is an allusion to time. It's meant to be countercultural versus a 24-7 way of living. We're talking about the biblical Sabbath. That's about time. In the beautiful creation account in Genesis chapter 1, God creates in six days and rests on the seventh. Time is a deep part of creation. It's a gift from God as well. And like any of the gifts from God, you can use it in a way that leads to wholeness, that leads to fulfillment, peace, community, ultimately life. Or you can use it in a way that leads to alienation, loneliness, destruction, and ultimately death. How are you using the gift of time that God has given you? Let's begin with a word of prayer. Oh, Lord, take my words this morning and speak through them. Take our hearts and thoughts and think through them. And then, Lord, take our hearts and light them up with love for you and for your world. This is what we pray in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Time moves irreversibly in one direction. The seconds tick away and you'll never get them back, which I realize has caused some of you to say, and we're sitting listening to this turkey waste our time this morning. The bad news, those who are sitting in the middle of the pews are stuck, for at least for the rest of the sermon. Time moves onward. There's no way to get it back. And there's two mistakes, that strikes me, that people make with time. On the one hand, some people live as if time is endless, as if there is no limit to their time. These are what I might call tomorrow people. Maybe you're somebody like this. People who say, well, I'll do that tomorrow. I'll get to that tomorrow. I'll start that tomorrow. I'll quit tomorrow. The truth is you have one less tomorrow than you did before you got up this morning. I pray that God gives us all long lives, but one day our tomorrows will come to an end. And so will our time. And if the Christian story is true, and I believe it is, there's a point in which we're going to have to stand before our Lord And to give an account of the choices we've made. And the ultimate choice you can make in this universe is for or against God. And one day we're going to have to make an account of that choice. So how are you using the time that God has given you? You may not have hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of tomorrows. I don't know how much time I have or you have left. But I guarantee you, tomorrow you'll have less time than you have today. One mistake people make with time is to live as if time goes on forever. And it's an inexhaustible Inexhaustible gift. But there's another mistake that people make with time, and it's the mistake that I want to focus on today. I think some of us realize deep in who we are that time is precious and limited, and so then we try to fill it, which is with as much as we can, cram every last second, Just wring it out, use it all. In fact, for a lot of us, our lives begin to be like this. It's like our life is some kind of suitcase. And with the idea being that I want to get as much into it as possible, I'm just going to cram everything in. I need a sombrero, sure. I need a box, sure. I need old hockey gear, sure. The problem is it doesn't really work. You can't close it. You've all been on vacation. You've seen people on their knees at the ticket counter cramming the suitcase down because they packed too much in it. If that's your suitcase, it doesn't really matter. The worst that can happen is you leave a few things with your relatives and go back with a lighter suitcase. But if this is your life, this is really problematic, because time is precious, and time is limited. And it doesn't really work well if you try to cram as many things as possible into your time. In fact, at the very center of the idea of a 24-6 lifestyle, underneath all the thoughts around the biblical Sabbath is the idea of restraint when it comes to time. God works for six days and rests on the seventh, and he sanctifies and makes holy the seventh day, which comes to be called the Sabbath. Don't miss that. It's very fundamental that God shows restraint in how he uses his time. Now, we are a culture who does not like the idea of restraint. We want to eat as much as we can, regardless of what it does to us, spend as much as we can and more than we can, regardless of what that does to us, and we want to work as much as we can. But as I said several weeks ago, the simple question to that is, how's it working for you? This is why I've said the idea of 24-6, this idea of the teaching of the biblical Sabbath, is so radically countercultural, Because we are not in a culture that likes the idea of restraint. We want to go all the way to the limits all the time, push right up against the guardrails. But time is precious. It's a gift from God. It needs to be used in a certain way. And like all the other gifts that God gives us, it needs to be used in accordance with God's design for it, which means we need to exercise some restraint. I want to talk today very practically about what it means to live a 24-6 life, not just by taking one day off a week, although, of course, that's fundamental. We said in the first week, that's one of the Ten Commandments. You don't get a pass and say, well, I didn't murder, but I never kept the Sabbath. It doesn't work like that. God gives us the Sabbath for our gift. In fact, I said before, We don't break the fourth commandment about the Sabbath. It breaks us. But I want to push beyond that. I I don't want to talk about about one day a week. I want to talk about how we use all seven days a week of our time. Because I don't want my life to be like this, and I don't want your life to be like this. And there's an important reason why, which I'll come to in a second. So I want to look today at Psalm 90. The Psalms are, are like a prayer book, a song book of the Scriptures. They are beautiful. If there was ever things to memorize, Scripture to commit to your heart, the Psalms would be it. Psalm 90 is a lovely Psalm. I want to encourage you to work on it. Maybe spend the next couple months memorizing it and letting it just permeate who you are. I'm going to read the whole Psalm. And it, the Psalm is almost like a prayer. I, I love it. So I just want to encourage you. This is longer. If this you've even been in church in a while, this is longer than we normally read for Scripture. Just push through. It's, it's beautiful and worth it. This is Psalm 90. Lord, you have been our dwelling place throughout all generations. Before the mountains were born, or you brought forth the whole world from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. You turn people back to dust, saying, Return to dust, you mortals. A thousand years in your sight are like a day that has just gone by, or like a watch in the night. And yet you sweep people away in the sleep of death. They're like new grass in the morning. In the morning it springs up new, but by evening it is dry and withered. Our lives are just like that. We are consumed by your anger and terrified by your indignation. You have set our iniquities before you, our secret sins in the light of your presence. All our days pass away under your wrath. We finish our years with a moan. Our days may come to 70 years or 80 if our strength endures, and yet the best of them are but trouble and sorrow, for they quickly pass and we fly away. If we only knew the power of your anger... Your wrath is as great as the fear that is your due. Teach us to number our days that we may gain a heart of wisdom. Relent, Lord, how long will it be? Have compassion on your servants. Satisfy us in the morning with your unfailing love that we may sing for joy and be glad all our days. Make us glad for as many days as you have afflicted us, for as many years as we have seen trouble. May your deeds be shown to your servants, your splendor to their children. And may the favor of the Lord our God rest upon us. Establish the works of our hands for us. Yes, establish the work of our hands. My God add his richest blessings through the reading and hearing of the word today. This is a psalm written by somebody who is in maybe a difficult place. And it's a psalm in which the psalmist reflects on God's goodness and faithfulness throughout all the years, even in the midst of suffering. Lord, you have been our dwelling place for generations, it begins, from everlasting to everlasting. You are our God. And the psalmist goes on to say, God, you see what our lives are really like, how they, they're, just, they're just quick. They're like new grass that grows up in the morning with the dew, and by evening it's already withered and gone away. That's what the human life is like. And then there's this great, this great verse, chapter, uh, verse 12. So because of that, Lord, teach us to number our days that we may gain a heart of wisdom. In other words, God, give us the ability to see our lives the way you see them, to see our time the way you see it, and thereby make choices and decisions in accordance with what you'd have us do. Wisdom in the scriptures is just living in the way that God wants you to live. It's knowing the right decision in any particular circumstance. Lord, teach us to be aware of how short and precious and fleeting are our days and give us wisdom as a result. Time is precious. We don't have an inexhaustible supply of time. Now, what do we do when we don't have an inexhaustible supply of something? We conserve it. We're careful with it. For example... My wife and I don't have an inexhaustible supply of money. And so we try to be careful with how we spend our money. Now, this, sometimes this is hard. For example, in our family, my wife has a long-running feud with her brother-in-law in which they try to buy each other the ugliest, tackiest gifts possible and give each other a, that gift at Christmas with the understanding is that the recipient must display it somewhere in his or her house. We have seen hideous things over the years. So every year we're on a lookout to get better and better or worse and worse, however you want to phrase it, gifts for each other. Now if you live in Texas, where do you go if you want to find the ugliest, tackiest gifts? No, not Sky Mall, although that's very close. There's lots of ugly, useless things in Sky Mall. You go to the Texas State Fair. So we spent time at the State Fair this year and we looked around and we saw some great, terrible stuff. We we walked past the carved wooden signs with the very funny witticisms on them. We walked past the hammock chair, the bracelets that you wear that fix everything that's wrong with you. And we were discouraged. Despite the corn dogs and all the other junk we'd eaten, we just didn't feel great. And as we were walking out, foot sore and discouraged, we saw one overlooked pavilion and we went in. And there it was. Ladies and gentlemen, I give you the wolf hologram toilet seat cover. How, is this a great country or what? <laughs> now, there might be a few of you who are getting a little uncomfortable because you bought that. Listen, <laughs> this is a place of no judgment. Good for you. Be proud, all right? I'm glad you have it. And then we stood there and we both said, oh, this would be perfect. But there was one problem. And the problem was it cost like 50 bucks. Now, here's the problem with buying a good, bad gift. You want it to exceed or whatever the opposite of that, somebody's expectations. But you also don't want to spend a lot of money on it. I mean, because it's junk, right? You get it? Now, the thought of my brother-in-law having to put that in his house and having a work party and his boss come over for dinner, (laughs) that was enticing. But I'm telling you, there's never been a family in the history of the wolf hologram, toilet seat covers, who stood at the state fair and debated buying it as long as we did. We must have stood there for 15 minutes. And ultimately, we didn't buy it. I know, it's a shame. It was a beautiful piece of art, and God bless the artist. The reason we didn't buy it is because it cost 50 bucks. My money is limited. I want to spend it on things that matter. Now, if it had been 20 bucks, I would have bought it. But my money is limited. And so when I have things that are limited, I'm careful with how I use them. Our time is limited. We need to be careful with how we use it. Because a lot of us, if we're honest, our lives are like this. I I see this all the time in folks in our congregation and even in my own life. We try to cram more and more things into our time, and ultimately it doesn't work. Here's how you know if you're too busy. You're too busy if you don't have time for the important and you give all your time to the urgent I don't know about you but all the time the urgent is tugging at me pay attention to me pay attention to me the important rarely does that and if I'm not careful I can spend all my time with the urgent with things that ultimately don't matter that will not endure ignoring the things that matter the important the foundation you're too busy If when God presents you with opportunities to better love God and love your neighbor, you can't do it. I say this a lot, and I need to stop saying this. People say, how's it going? How's it going with you? I'll say, oh, good. I'm really busy. Now it's good to have activity. Work honors God. It's good for us to to use the time that God's given us for something productive. But I'm not sure that saying busy is the best response for a faithful Christian. Because it's really kind of like saying, I just cramming everything I can into my time. I don't have time for anything else. If you're too busy to spend time loving God or loving your neighbor, you're too busy. If you're so busy that you have to skip worship regularly, you can't make it to your small group, to your Bible study breakfast, to your accountability meeting, you're too busy. If, we, if I were to present on Sunday morning an incredible opportunity for a ministry that would fit your gifts, whatever they are, that you would know that's just the kind of the sweet spot that God's created you to fill, but you honestly know you can't say yes because you couldn't keep the commitment, I'd like to say you're too busy. The psalmist puts it like this. Verse 8. You have set our iniquities before you, our secret sins, in the light of your presence. All our days pass away under your wrath, and we finish our years with a moan. In other words, God sees what our life is really like. God sees our choices. Now, right now, you can fool people. You can be busy all the time and be doing nothing important, nothing that will really last, nothing that is eternal value. You can fool us now. I can fool you now by acting all busy all the time, but ultimately, I cannot fool God. God is not mocked. He sees our actions. How are you spending your time? Your time is precious. Lord, teach us to number our days, the psalmist says, so we can have a heart of wisdom, so we can know how best to use the precious gift you've given us. It may be the case there's things in your life you're going to have to say no to for a while. Maybe the case there's things in your life you're going to have to say no to forever, so you can say yes to some other things. Now listen. We all go through seasons in our lives, you're in a startup business, you're a new parent, you're dealing with an aging parent. There's times in our lives when just the activity ramps up. I'm not against activity, please hear me. I work hard, I spend long hours. But what I'm saying is, how are we filling our time? Are we doing it with things that matter, or with things that are ultimately inconsequential? There's nothing wrong with traveling to the home football games, but if you travel to every home football game, and the rest of your life suffers, and it's hard for you to love God and love your neighbor... There's nothing wrong with traveling to your friend's weddings. I'm picking on the younger folks in our congregation. But when you're at a wedding every weekend, you know that your walk with God suffers and therefore your love for your neighbor suffers. It's just the case. Now, one of the things I've been trying to do throughout this series is to make as many people set sit with me as possible. Okay? So here I'm going to take it another step this morning. Hold on to your hats. I want to talk about our kids. John Maxwell says... That the best sermons on parenting you ever preached were the ones before you had kids. And uh, I don't have middle school, high school age kids. I don't have elementary age kids. So I'm really speaking from a point in which I don't know. And you may very well say, when you get to my place, you'll change your perspective. That may be true. But it is also not true that you have to experience something to know whether it's right or wrong. For example, I've never been on ABC's television show The Bachelor. And yet, Your, your kids are too busy if there's not time for you to help them grow in love of God and love of neighbor. That's just a fact. There is nothing wrong with the lacrosse tournament, the soccer games, the dance recitals, okay? But from my point of view, admittedly, I don't have kids that age yet. I see a lot of us doing things that ultimately have no eternal significance. And they hurt our family dynamic. And ultimately, I would argue, they don't really help our kids Missing one soccer tournament is not going to help your kid get into Harvard or not. If your kid is that good at soccer, it won't make a difference anyway. And if not, who cares? Because ultimately, your kids are going to leave your house, and they're going to be married, and they're going to be parents themselves, and they'll be faced with tough moral decisions, and deep suffering, and somebody's going to have cancer, and somebody can't conceive, and somebody is killed before his or her time. And then, they need to rely on the God who sustains them and there is nobody who better teaches them how to live in accordance with the gifts God has given them than you, their parents. I hope our kids enjoy the gifts and the activity and the energy that God gives them, but a lot of our children, and therefore our family lives are like this. In fact, the reason a lot of adults have such a hard time resting and having Sabbath is not just because their schedules are full, but because every second they have extra, it's filled with their kids' activities. Now listen, I know I'm, I'm pushing some buttons here, but I think somebody has to say it. The other thing is I've noticed is that almost all parents, when they're caught in the carpool grind of weekend after weekend and evening after evening activities say, I wish we weren't doing this, and yet they all do it. Maybe it's time for the parents in this church to say, our kids aren't going to do that. We're going to step back. Rather than always walking up right to the edge, we're going to show a little restraint because that's how time is meant to be used. I'm not saying there's anything wrong with the soccer tournament, the lacrosse games, the dance recitals, all the other things. I'm saying maybe say no to some of them. Make a choice. Let's be really, really, really practical. I want you to take out the card you were given as you walked in this morning. On the back is Psalm 90. I'd love for you to take it home and to memorize it and put it on your windshield and work through it. It is a beautiful, lovely psalm. But on the front are a series of symbols. You'll see them on the screen as well. The plus sign. I'd like you to go home and pray over this and think about what are the things that currently aren't in your time that you need to add. What are the things that really matter that are important, not just the urgent things that you currently don't have in your life that you need to add? Obviously, weekly worship is one, reading the scriptures and so on, serving others. But even things like like a day off, like enjoying your front porch, like taking a walk, like spending time with the people who matter, having just silence sometime in our lives, some days in which the phone is turned off. That's something that a lot of us need to add. The minus sign are the things that we just need to take out of our life, maybe permanently. Let me pick on the single folks for a second. If you're single and you're dating somebody that you know ultimately does not have the character for that person to be a good partner in marriage with you, what are you doing? Why are you wasting your time? Life is short. Your time is precious. There's certain people maybe we just got to say no to in our lives. God loves them. God has plans for them. But maybe they're not best for you right now. Now, if, you, if you're married and you're spending a lot of time with somebody who's not your spouse, that might be somebody you need to put on the minus list. Let's not wait till it's too late. Let's make the hard decisions now. There may be other things. There may be things that you just gotta say to no now to for a time. If you have small kids at home and you're a dad, there's nothing wrong with going hunting sometimes or or playing golf on the weekends. But I'd say if you're gone every weekend hunting and playing golf every weekend and you have small kids at home, that needs to be on the minus list. Because your kids aren't gonna be with you forever. They are a gift from God. The time you have with them is precious. How are you using it? There may be some things you gotta add and take away, but then there's probably other things, this is probably true of my life, in which Some things I need to have more of, the greater than sign, and some things I just need to have less of. Not totally, but just a little bit more, a little bit less. I have some quiet time in my life, but I know as your pastor and seeing the things that I see and being called to go to hospital rooms and preach sermons and have wisdom, I know that I don't have enough silence and quiet and communion with the Lord in my life. I need to ramp that up a bit. But I also know that I have, and these are connected probably, too much screen time in my life. Listen, I love movies, I love TV, I love streaming video, I love watching sports. There's nothing wrong with those things. But at least in my life, often, there's too much of it. There's too much of it. My time is precious. How am I spending my time? This is what I'm talking about with regard to our kids' activities. Maybe some things need to be ramped up. Maybe you need to have more time as a family in which you are just together. And maybe you need to have a little bit less time just ferrying the kids from one appointment and one tournament to another. I'd like you to take this home, open up your calendar, put this card next to it, and just pray over it. God, give me some wisdom. Show me the things I need to add, take away, and so on. Because here's the truth. Our lives are short, and we're not going to have them forever. But rather than being something that's depressing, that's hard, this is actually a gift. Because one of the consequences of God coming among us in Christ Jesus our Lord is that those things that are connected to Christ as the foundation will last forever. The very closing verses of the psalm point this fact out. Verse 17, the psalmist says, May the favor of the Lord our God rest upon us and establish the work of our hands for us. Yes, establish the work of our hands. In other words, God, take some of the things that we're doing and make them have a lasting permanence things that are done in accordance with God's purposes and gifts last forever they have a purity that lasts regardless of time when you offer a simple act of hospitality and you have your neighbor over for dinner when you enjoy the creation that God has given you when you serve the neighbor when you work hard those are things that God honors that will last forever we're building a firm foundation with those things or to put it another way in first Corinthians chapter 3 Verse 11, this is how the Apostle Paul says it. For no one can lay any foundation other than the one already laid, which is Jesus Christ. If anyone builds on this foundation using gold, silver, costly stones, wood, hay, or straw, their work will be shown for what it is, because the day will bring it to light. The judgment day. It will be revealed with fire, and the fire will test the quality of each person's work. And if what has been built survives, the builder will receive a reward. It is true that our time right now in our lives is limited. But our God is from everlasting to everlasting, and those things built on the foundation of Christ can last. Ultimately, God will reveal to us our actions and our choices. And so I want to be somebody, and I want you to be people, who take our time and see it as empty And begin to fill it with the things that matter, that will be shown for what they are, that will last forever. you got to have a sombrero. (laughs) So that our lives work in the way that God intended them for us. Because one day our actions will be shown for what they are. I want to challenge you this week to really take seriously the question of how you're spending your time. Your time is limited. Therefore, God, give us your perspective to see it. Teach us to number our days. I'd like to wish this blessing upon you. Verse 17, may the favor of the Lord our God rest upon us and establish the work of our hands. Yes, may he establish the work of our hands. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, amen.